Thank you for listening to the Murray Hills Church podcast. We're in a series right now called Anchored Spirituality. It's an emotional health series, and we're going to be looking at six different principles to help us improve our emotional and spiritual health. I hope you find this helpful, and I hope we learn something together. Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you, Russ, for that great introduction. Um, super excited to be here this morning, and super excited that we're part of a church where females can do lots of different play, do lots of different roles. Um, Russ kind of introduced our topic, which is courageous candor, saying the unsaid, um, which is another way of saying we're addressing conflict today <laughs> um, in conversation. So, uh, how do we do that? What does the Bible say about that? Um, but I kind of first wanted to start with this question of who really enjoys conflict. Um, I would venture to say nobody really likes conflict. It is just really, really hard. And I will tell you there are people who are better at addressing conflict than others, but if we're just kind of looking at our, you know, thinking about conflict in general, it's just, it's, it's unpleasant. It doesn't make us feel good. Um, think about it for a minute. Um, if someone says, you know, after church or something, they say like, hey, I, I really need to talk to you about something. Can you stick around for like 10 minutes? I mean, it's immediate where you're like, oh my gosh, like, what do they need to talk to me about? Did I do something? Like, what is it going to be? Oh, it's, it's going to be a lot. Um, or maybe, um, you know, it's um, a, your boss at work who says, like, you're, you know, going through your normal stuff, and they say, can you come talk to me for a minute in my office? Oh, gosh. Like, immediate, you're scanning the past week, like, uh, I, what did I do? Did someone else, did I hurt someone else's feelings? What are they going to talk to me about? Like, what's this going to be? Is it going to be bad? You know, it's just immediate, like nerves, just, it's just super, super hard. Or my favorite one, which I think probably most of us in the audience are a little bit familiar with, if you, especially if you have a spouse or a significant other, if someone comes to you and says, so I think that we really need to talk about something. I mean, everybody probably can just be like, oh, gosh, I roll, and, you know, your response could be, well, I would really love to talk to you right now, but I just decided that I'm going to go clean the bathroom, because I would rather do that than have a conversation with you right now, so uh, I don't want to do this, um, and so that's kind of where we're going to sit today. I will tell you personally, um, I have a really, really hard time with conflict, um, because my personality is kind of wired in such a way that it's opposite of conflict. Um, meaning, um, it'll, this will explain it a little bit better. I don't know if you guys like personality tests. I kind of do. Um, they just kind of give me a little bit more insight into kind of who I am, how I operate. Um, I've done strength finders, and that gives you your top five strengths. I'm just going to give you my top two, which are harmony and positivity, which basically means I want everybody to get along, and I want everybody to be happy. And I strive on both of those ends to make those things happen, which means conflict doesn't really fit into the mix of any of that stuff. Um, if you guys are Enneagram fans, um, I'm a nine, which means I'm a peacemaker. Again, it reinforces the, the whole harmony piece. I strive for peace. I do not like people to be in conflict. It makes me super tense. Um, so basically, I hate it. <laughs> I hate, hate conflict. Um, and in fact, it made me so uncomfortable over the years 
that I used to completely avoid it. Um, so because those emotions were so intense for me, I just thought, well, I, I don't, I don't want to address this at all. So I would run from conflict and I would also run from the emotions that um, kind of surrounded it. So, um, you know, sometimes our emotions can get so huge when we're engaging in this that, um, you know, like I thought that I was causing someone else's conflict. So heaven forbid, I have all these emotions, plus I'm causing their conflict. We're just going to put my head in the sand and not do anything about it. But I will tell you that made me miserable as a human being. Um, I was not a happy person at all. And um, I, it just, um, it truly made me, made me miserable. And so how do we work through that? How do we, how do we address conflict? Because because if we hide from it, it grows, doesn't get any smaller, the conflict usually grows bigger, and then the emotions surrounding the conflict also grow bigger. So if you're thinking about anger, bitterness, hurt, frustration, those emotions can be pretty powerful, and when we let them grow, they begin to dominate us. Or I was talking to a friend of mine, and she said that they begin to own us, which is exactly what, um, what happened to me. And so I had to spend a lot of time working on myself. Um, <clears throat> so how do we do this? How do we step into conflict? What does the Bible say about it? How, where do we begin with this? And I think, I think we need to kind of begin with the conversations that we're having um, with people. Let's describe kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about some conflict things. Um, Russ asked me to speak today because of what I do for a living. I'm a forensic interviewer, and what that means is I speak to children anywhere ages from preschool to 18 about um, when there are allegations of severe physical or sexual abuse or if they're witness to trauma. Um, it usually is a criminal, potential criminal investigation, and my job is to go in and talk to those children about the worst experiences of their life and to gain every shred of every detail that happened during those experiences. And I will tell you, um, it, is, it is a job that I absolutely cherish and love, and it is a privilege because um, having a child share their pain and suffering with you is something that um, it's just an honor for me to be able to do that. But it is a very difficult conversation to have, and I have them every day. 98% um, of the time, I'm talking about sexual abuse. So that's, that's what I talk about all the time with children. Um, but I also recognize the fact that I'm trained how to do that. And so, and I also recognize the fact that you guys are not talking about trauma in your everyday lives all the time. So what are some other s situations where we truly have to enter into those really difficult conversations? <clears throat> I alluded to the fact of talking to your boss. Um, we all, if you work um, and have somebody that supervises you, um, more often than not, you're going to eventually have a conversation that is difficult. Um, whether you're initiating the conversation or whether they are initiating the conversation, it's just a really difficult conversation. It's just a hard talk. I know when I've had those experiences, usually the night before, I don't sleep because I'm super, I'm so stressed about it. Um, I wake up the next morning, I don't want to eat, it just churns in the pit of my stomach. Um, you know, I just want to be like, can we just get this over with? I just want to go talk, you know. Um, so in, even, even in the situations where I've initiated the conversation, I still feel that way. Um, or what about talking to your children? Um, I know we have an, I have an 11-year-old and a 16-year-old, and so I'm finding that we're, we're venturing into the path of having some really difficult conversations with them. And sometimes in those conversations, you're having to deliver a consequence to your child. 
there's something they've done that um, requ does require a consequence, but it also requires a conversation with them. So how do you have a conversation where they listen to you even though you know they're going to be up upset at the same time? So kind of what does that look like? Or sometimes we just have friends that we need to just have a hard conversation with. Maybe they're, they're, we're worried about something or they've hurt our feelings in some way and it just is something we really need to talk to them about. Um, all of these conversations are super difficult because there's an emotional connection that we have with the people. Even if it is your boss, there's still an emotional connection that you have with all of these people because it's a relationship that you have with them and it's an ongoing relationship. And so how do we have a conversation that's going to be difficult, that's going to preserve the relationship that we have that's ongoing, but still be able to address the conflict? And so um, that is truly difficult. And I feel like probably the majority of us struggle with this. Um, but I would argue if you're looking at all of those conversations that you're having with people, especially the ones that we initiate, um, we really want people to listen to what we're trying to tell them, not just hear it. We truly want people to listen to what we're um, saying so that, so that they will truly understand how we operate and then potentially create some kind of change. I think in general, when we, when we go and engage in conversations with people, the end result is you're hoping that the words you're saying lead to some kind of change. And so um, when I talk about listening, though, I kind of want to define that a bit better because there is a difference between listening and hearing something. And I'm just going to, I have a little quote here. Um, Kelly Workman is a psychologist at Columbia, and I'm just going to read what she writes. She defines it this way. She says, listening is an active, voluntary, and intentional process that may develop an emotional response to what you hear. Listening with the intent to understand is referred to as active listening. She goes on to say, we are social beings and have a universal need for connection and belonging. Listening is what enables us to develop increased curiosity about others' experiences, increased compassion and empathy, and increased connection. If you are not listening to others or being listened to, it can negatively affect your sense of connection and belonging. So in other words, Today, we're going to focus on how do we speak in such a way that people will listen and how do we listen in such a way that we are seeking to understand. And what does the Bible say about listening and understanding? Um, Matthew's, um, actually, sorry, um, Acts 16 verse 25 says about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Um, Proverbs 4, verse 20 through 21 says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words, so listen. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. And then Jeremiah 29, verse 12 says, Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Um, what does the Bible say about understanding? Um, Proverbs 2 says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding. Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Um, this particular verse talks about understanding three different times. 
crying out for it, looking for it, and searching for it. So there's an intensity that's applied, that's kind of implied when you're looking for like a hidden treasure. Um, and so, and what do you get when you actively search for understanding? You um, get godly wisdom, um, which is kind of, it's worded the knowledge of God. I just kind of reframed it as godly wisdom. Um, and I think so oftentimes we hear God's word here, so we hear it in our heads, but we don't really listen and absorb it, and so we don't hear it here in our heart. And in our heart is where true change happens, because it's your emotional connection to things that causes real change. And so, um, so let's break the statement down, speak in such a way that people will listen. What does that mean? Um, I wrestled with this for a really long time because there's so many different ways that I could describe this, especially working in mental health for a really long time. But I kind of kept coming back to this one thought. Um, when you enter a conversation with somebody, you start by looking at your emotions first. So before you ever go, <clears throat> so sorry, I have like delayed, like COVID, I've already had COVID, so nobody needs to worry about like, everybody's like, oh my gosh, she's coughing. Um, but it's still a lingering thing, it won't go away. So sorry. Um, so um, we look at ourselves first. So before you enter into that conversation, before you initiate it, before you get ready to go talk to somebody, you examine yourself first. Um, because your emotions, and we're talking about examining your emotions, your emotions have the ability to influence the entire conversation, um, negatively or positively. Um, so what are you bringing to the table? Are you bringing hurt or anger or frustration? Um, you might be. Um, are you bringing anxiety into the conversation? Maybe. Um, but whatever it is, the emotion that you're kind of bringing, um, you kind of need to understand it first. Um, because your feelings are going to have the ability to drive the conversation. And I kind of use the car as an example. Um, your brain normally is the one that sits in the driver's seat, um, and the rational side of you drives the car. But when your emotions take over and drive the car, the car is all over the road. Um, and what happens is people get very overwhelmed by the emotions that you're putting out there. And so it shuts down your conversation and they don't listen to you. And remember, listening is what we're wanting to speak in a way that people want to listen to us. And so, um, so how do we, how do we, how do we do this? Which is kind of the question I keep asking. I'm going to give you guys, um, a couple of examples of what it looks like when, um, I had a situation where um, someone was like super, brought a bunch of emotions to the conversation and I was on the listening side. And then another example of when I was the one that had all the emotions and how that looks. So um, I talked to you about what I do for a living. A couple weeks ago, I had a teen come in. She was talking about, um, she was talking about being raped by her boyfriend and um, she came in and <clears throat> I had not even started talking to her yet. And I have a really nice room with two comfy chairs and she comes in and she sits down and immediately her hands are doing this and her breathing starts to change as she starts talking to me and then she starts really laughing nervously. And so those are all big anxiety things. And so I just looked at her and I said, tell me about how you're feeling right now. She goes, well, I have a little bit of an anxiety problem. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I see, I see that, but let's talk about that. And so as I was talking to her, I dropped my voice, which is what I do a lot. And I, <clears throat> so it was more like here. And I just started slowing my rate of speech just a little bit. 
and then I described what we were getting ready to do in the conversation. So I didn't talk about anything difficult, I just told her how it was gonna go. And what happened was her anxiety, and it was so up here, gradually moved down to where she was able to speak and talk to me, and we were able to have a conversation, the really hard conversation, where all those details I needed to get, she was able to do that. Um, but um, I, in that instance, I was actively listening to her, which means I was paying attention to all the things. I think when we talk about attention in our society, we're so distracted by phones and all the other things. Um, I was paying attention to her body language and could see how hard this was for her. And so the emotion that she brought to the table was shutting down our conversation. And the only way we could move past it was to address it. Um, another example um, that I have that's a little bit more personal, um, I am not a huge tech person. Uh, technology is hard for me to understand. We kind of, I work in mental health. I don't understand all of the computers and stuff. My husband does that for a living, and so I let him understand all that stuff. Um, but I also realized um, that there's a way to be able to utilize that in my job that can make things better and improve things. And so I, <clears throat> I thought, well, maybe I should start attempting to understand this. Now, I will tell you, my past experiences with all of this have been terrible. So I was always made to feel incompetent. I was always made to feel like, I don't have time to explain this to you. Um, or I'm in a rush, or you're just making this more complicated. Like, just kind of that, it, it just was never a good scenario. And so that's what I was bringing to the table. Um, and so I started kind of doing some tech stuff probably around seven months ago, and I remember my first conversation, I was being trained on some software, and um, I remember that the, the IT guy that I was talking with, he said, Amy, we have time for us to learn this. I'm going to help you walk through this. You're going to be fine. If you don't understand something, I'm going to answer your questions. Like basically without saying this take a breath like it's gonna be okay and so because I was all up here but gradually again as I was brought down here I was able to learn all the things and I was able to understand it now if you think about the reverse of that scenario what would have happened had I been met so I brought anxiety and frustration to the table but what would have happened had I been met with that as well so if he'd have been really impatient, or he'd have been super frustrated that I wasn't picking up stuff, or, you know, like, you know, just, I don't have time for this, we're just going to have to do this later, I would have been the one to shut down the conversation, and I would have never asked for help again, and then seven months worth of work would have never happened. Um, so, and Russ posted this probably about a week ago, which just sums this up beautifully on his Facebook page. It says, anxiety is contagious. Intensity and reactivity only breed more of the same. Calm is also contagious. Nothing is more important than getting a grip on your own reactivity. And I, I'm, I want to try to hit home on this because if you're super frustrated and super angry and all the things and you bring that into the conversation and that's what you put out to somebody, unless they're a super duper duper calm person um, and they can calm you down, which I gave you scenarios of that, the likelihood that it's going to be catching um, and that they're not going to listen to your words is, is very likely. Um, you want people to listen to what you're saying and not react to it. 
So if you come armed ready for a fight, a lot of times a fight is what you're going to get. Um, people may not always remember the exact words that you say in a conversation, but they will always remember the way that you made them feel. And so if you come at them hard with a bunch of anger, then they're going to remember that you were angry and it made them angry. And that's all they're going to remember. Um, so I always like to give a couple of practical solutions on, so that's great, Amy, that you've said all this stuff, but how do I get a, how do I get a grip on my reactivity or how do I get a grip on my emotions? Um, so I always like to talk to a neutral party first. Um, <clears throat> It helps me process kind of my own feelings and my own um, emotions, and I also gain a different perspective. I will tell you my brother um, likes to describe a few of us in our family as running a little bit hot. Uh, I like to say I just, my engine's always running, which just means I tend to react a little bit more to things. Um, you know, I lose patience. Um, you know, I can get bent out of shape over an email or a text message, or I can, you know, overreact to a statement that somebody made. And so before I go and address anything with anybody, I usually talk to somebody else. I'll have them look at the email. I'll have them look at the text message. I'll t describe what I experienced to see if I'm viewing it correctly. And a lot of times, um, when I talk to my brother or my husband, those are usually the two people that I do that with the most, um, a lot of times, because they're sharing a different perspective with me, they help bring me to a place of calm, so I'm calmed back down again, and I realize it's actually, it's something that I did misinterpret, and I don't even actually need to have a conversation about it at all, um, because it was kind of my own thing. Um, so, talk to somebody first, just to get a different perspective that's not related that's another important piece that's not related to your conversation, or that's not related to the thing that you need to talk about. Um, another thing that I do that helps me a lot is I write things down. Um, if I have several things that I really want to express in a conversation, and it's going to be a hard conversation, and I'm already nervous about it, I actually write it down first. Um, I recently caught the tail end of a news report, and they were talking about how writing in general sharpens your mind. <clears throat> and so writing things out helps you see what you're feeling right in front of you. Um, it helps lessen some of those intense emotions, and it helps kind of organize your thoughts a bit more so you don't kind of seem so scattered. Um, I've had many technology conversations since that first one that I had a few months ago, and what I found was, um, you know, I was still having some anxiety going into those conversations, but what I found was that um, when I wrote things out, um, I was much more clear-headed, my anxiety was less intense, and I was able to actually um, express myself much more effectively when I, when I wrote stuff out. Um, and even though those conversations, like the result may not have been exactly what I wanted, I still felt a sense of satisfaction at the end of that conversation that I was able to say all the things I needed to say, and it just made me feel better. Um, <clears throat> but I, I know some of you guys are out there going like, yeah, but there are conversations where you need to actually express an emotion in them. Like, you need to let someone know, I am mad, or I am angry, um, or this really did hurt my feelings. So, you know, I, I need to let that person know that. So how do I do that? Um, and this is more of a counseling therapist kind of thing, but it's and it's honestly really hard to do. Um, but you want to name the emotion that you are experiencing. Um, and so if you are experiencing anger, if somebody made you angry, 
taking ownership of that and saying, I felt really angry when um, you are taking ownership of the emotion. Um, when Scott and I have to talk to our kids about something, and it's something that is a poor choice that they made or something, but it's like we genuinely are upset at them, <laughs> you know. Kids always make you upset about something usually. Um, but we wait till we're at a place where we're not going to be yelling or screaming at somebody. And um, we go and we sit down and we talk with them, but we start the conversation out by saying, like, I, this, I, was really, I am really upset with you right now because you chose to disobey me. Or I am really disappointed right now at the poor choice that you made. Or I am really angry at you right now because of, you know, what I, just, you know, whatever it is. But we are taking ownership of how we feel about something. I'm not putting that emotion on somebody else. Um, a lot of times we have a tendency to say, well, you made me feel this way, and you did this, and you did that. Um, I have done that many times, especially in conversations with my husband, and they never go well <laughs> because usually the other person feels attacked and they become a defensive um, immediately. No one is listening to what the other person is saying and the other perspective the other person is bringing to the table. And so um, when you can learn to be able to use I statements, I feel this, um, it, it tends to make the person on the other side of the table less reactive to what you're saying. Um, the second part of the statement that I said earlier about listening in such a way that people understand, or listening in such a, speaking in such a way that people will listen, and listening in such a way people will understand, that second part, um, I think, is also a difficult piece to do. Um, it boils down to this. Um, we can do all the things, all the suggestions that I made about writing things down and looking at our own emotions and all those things, but I think a lot of times we forget that we are having a conversation, which means there's going to be another person that um, is responding to what you're saying. Um, we forget to consider that what their response is going to be, what their perspective is going to be. And what we really need to do is to afford them that active listening piece of things that I would have, that we hoped they would have given to us. But even if they didn't, again, um, referencing that scripture from Proverbs 2 where you're seeking out understanding, like you're intensely looking for it like a hidden treasure. Um, I think the understanding piece of things is really a mindset that you have to go into your conversation with. So you can come in and you know somebody hurt your feelings, but really coming into that conversation knowing that I am truly going to try to understand their point of view when having this dialogue with them. Um, um, I think that um, understanding is probably, um, it's just, this whole conversation we're having is just really hard, both pieces, listening and understanding, especially when you're hurt, because there, our normal response is, well, I don't really understand what they do. I don't understand. I don't want to understand where they're coming from. They hurt me. I, they hurt my feelings. Like, I don't really need to, to think about where they're coming from. Um, and that, again, is where we're processing that hole on the front end about how you're feeling. Um, I had a really difficult conversation with a boss at my job, and I knew when I went into the conversation, number one, I wasn't going to change his mind on anything when I had this conversation. Um, uh, regarding my job, I also knew personally his viewpoints on stuff, and I knew that was also not going to change. But it was something that was really important to me, and I had to talk to him about it because it was eating me up on the inside. 
and it required two conversations actually in order to get some kind of resolution but at the end of the conversation I remember he told me he said you know what it's okay that we don't agree on this and I just I was really amazed that that was the response um, he said um, it, that it didn't bother him at all and I think in that space we both collectively sought understanding he sought understanding from where I was coming from I sought understanding from where he was coming from and so we were able to share that same space even with conflicting um, viewpoints Proverbs 17 verse 2 from the message says the one who knows much says little um, but an understanding person remains calm and one of the funny things is, is when you seek to understand someone um, your reactivity goes down you tend to remain more calm because your sole focus is on understanding them um, Philippians 2 verse 3 this is another verse from the message says if you've gotten anything out at all of following Christ if his love has made any difference in your life if being in a community of the Spirit means anything to you if you have a heart if you care then do me a favor agree with each other love each other be deep-spirited friends put yourself aside and help others get ahead forget yourselves long enough to lend a helping hand um, really that what that verse means is you're just putting the other person ahead of yourself um, and you're truly seeking out what are they trying to say to me too um, and I think when we come with that frame of mind um, to the conversation it changes the entire dynamic of the conversation and I think it's a mutually beneficial even when you're talking about a really hard thing it ends up being a mutually beneficial conversation for both people involved um, so as I wrap all of this up today because I know I've kind of blasted you guys with a lot of stuff I wanted to leave you with the verse 1st Corinthians um, 13 and I have it um, this is from the I think it's the amplified amplified version um, I kind of liked how it how they said this it says love endures with patience and serenity love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant it is not rude it is not self-seeking it is not provoked nor overly sensitive and easily angered it does not take into account a wrong endured it does not rejoice in at injustice but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail love bears all things regardless of what comes believes all things looking for the best in each one hopes all things remaining steadfast during difficult times endures all things without weakening love never fails it never fades nor ends and I think all of this these words in this verse are all action words um, and I think as a society we tend to um, we boil love down to a feeling which we've all heard before but the way that God describes love is such a more intense action it is an action that you're doing to other people it is not something that you feel about them and I think above all else when we enter into these conversations with people do we have to do all these things no that's a little bit overwhelming like we're human so we can't do like it's I don't think this verse is saying you need to do all these things every moment of every day all the time I feel like it's what it's saying is when you're presented with an opportunity you show love in this way so if I have a difficult conversation I will listen to you I will be kind I will be patient I will exercise self-control and I will control my emotions I will seek to understand you and I will I will put you in front of my own stuff and I think that's really where um, 
we sit when we're looking at all of these um, really hard things that we're talking about. So I think um, that's really where I'm going to end this. And I'm going to say a prayer, and then after that, you guys are ready to go. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today, and um, I thank you so much for the emotions that you have blessed us with, because they're, they're pretty amazing. Um, I thank you for the way that you've designed us, and I thank you for our human connection with one another. Um, but it is really hard sometimes to navigate the emotions that we have, and really hard to talk about some, some um, things when pain um, and frustration and hurt are involved in those conversations. I pray that you help us to um, seek out your godly love that you have given us a definition of in 1 Corinthians, and I pray that you help us apply that to that conversation when we're getting ready to enter into it. Um, thank you so much for um, this church and for being able to talk about these difficult things. And your son Sam, we pray. Amen. You guys have a good week.